Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast by and for trial lawyers looking for better ways to serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. This is John Simon. I'm Eric Veith. Welcome to The Jury Is Out, and we're continuing our uh, discussions on Vordier. Vordier is a complicated topic. It sounds easy in law school, right? Yeah, you know, it's not easy, and I think you're always learning. And, you know, I think it's it's probably, and we always say this is the most important, openings the most important, but I don't think there's any other part of your case or your, your trial more important than selecting those people who are going to decide the case. So we're going to talk specifically today about getting jurors off for cause and the mechanics of that, the logistics of that, We've talked in past sessions about the standard, the standard in Missouri that no person who's formed or expressed an opinion concerning the matter that may influence the judgment of such person. I think it's a low bar, but obviously it's within the discretion of the court, of the judge. We're going to talk today about the actual mechanics of finding out who you want off and then getting them off. That truly is the most important thing in Vordar, is identifying the people who, for whatever reason, are not going to be favorable for you. We said earlier that Missouri courts have recognized the purpose of Vordar is to identify people with express or hidden bias in order to get them off so that you have a fair and impartial jury. The next question is, how do you get them off? I think the very first step is laying the groundwork. Let me talk about that. What I typically do is I will tell the jury or the panel you know, explain to them what we're doing, explain to them that there's no right and wrong answer. Uh, the only wrong thing to do is not to speak up. I try to emphasize the importance of truthful answers. I tell everybody in the room, look, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to try to change your mind. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I don't care what your answer is. I just want to know what you're thinking. Everybody wants to know what you're thinking. I also talk about bias and prejudice. They're not bad terms. You know, not all jurors are good for all cases. I'll usually give an example. We live in St. Louis. The St. Louis Rams, you know, left us holding the bag, skated out of town, and tell people, look, if this was a case about the, the, the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams, probably a good portion of people in this room would not be a good, a good juror for that case. One of the many challenges is there's probably a fair number of people that in that group of 60 or 80 jurors we're going to come in, their arms crossed, and they don't want to engage in this process. Or they might be introverts. They might be shy. They don't want to be talking in front of the big crowd. They don't want to look like they're unfair. They just don't want to be there at all. And so your job as an attorney is to set a tone for that, that person to open up. It, that's not easy sometimes. I give an example of, of cases I wouldn't be a good juror on. I might say, Look, if, if I was on a jury where an insurance company was a defendant, I probably wouldn't be a good juror. Everybody believes they're fair. I don't care who it is. People who are unfair are never going to admit they're not fair. So I, I think you need to think of a different way to phrase that. The way I like doing that is, do you have strong feelings about that issue? Tell me about those feelings. Tell me what they are. Tell me what they're based on. Tell me more about that. Are we starting off a little bit behind? But just flat out saying, okay, we're going to find out who's unfair. Can you be fair? You're not getting anybody off that panel, fair or not, by asking that question. Another thing, too, is asking whether they can follow the law. Well, number one, they don't have the law in front of them. Most people are going to answer that, answer by saying, look, I don't know what the law is. You're really asking me whether I can follow the law. I can't answer that if I don't know what the law is. 
And that, that's a fair answer, I think, don't sure, you? Sure, absolutely. What we need is that we need an unqualified commitment that they're able to follow the law, an unqualified commitment that they don't have strong feelings that would maybe sway them one, one way or another. It's like asking the pilot on the airplane whether they can fly the plane in bad weather, but you wait until the plane's off the ground you know, 15 minutes after takeoff. I mean, at that point, it's too late. I think that uh, maybe a third of, of the, the group, a third of the jurors in any given you know, courtroom, they've probably made up their mind about your case before they left their house that morning. Okay, and, and that's how strong, I think, feelings are nowadays about bringing lawsuits, personal injury lawsuits, uh, lawyers in general. And so everybody needs to be aware of that. I mean, you can't shy away from this. you got to hit it head on. I'll flat out tell them who has strong feelings about lawsuits, who has strong feelings about lawyers. There's a good friend of mine who starts medical malpractice cases out by asking the panel, who here thinks this case is about me getting rich? It's one of the first things he says. So, you know, you have to hit this head on. There is no such thing as poisoning the panel. Be sincere, be yourself, be direct, let them talk, but you can't hide from any of this. You, you got to hit it head on. In one case, I probably spent most of the morning or the entire morning questioning the panel. We took a lunch break. I came back and I went to one guy who hadn't answered any questions. And he was just sitting there kind of glaring at me with his arms crossed the whole time. And uh, I finally zeroed in on him and said, you know, what are you thinking about any of this? And he finally at that point said, I wouldn't give you a dime no matter what the evidence is. I would not give your client a verdict no matter what it, what the evidence was in this case. Had I not been persistent and sought him out, he, he may have been on the panel. You know, he may have been on the jury. So in any event, laying the groundwork, what I mean by that is letting the jurors know that it is okay to have strong feelings about certain issues, whatever you know issues you have strong feelings about. Number one, lower the bar. Number two, emphasize the importance of truthful answers. Three, let them know that some strong feelings are okay. Identify the jurors with strong feelings about some issue in the case, negative feelings about some issue in your case, and identify them and help them get off. Help them get off the jury. Help them recognize that they wouldn't be a good juror in the case. Pick a topic, let them talk, build a record about what their feelings are on a particular topic. Number one, tort reform questions. As I said, I think probably a third of the general population has negative feelings about lawyers, about lawsuits, about the civil justice system. Don't hide from that. It's not going to go away. Ask some good questions that will get people talking about it. Who here thinks that people are too quick to blame someone if they've been involved in an accident? That's a good question. Who here thinks a jury verdict should uh, not include money for pain and suffering? Who here thinks there's too many lawsuits? That should get all uh, every hand up in the room. Who here thinks lawsuits harm the business community? You know, hands up. Who thinks that there are too many lawsuits? This one gets about every hand up in the room every time I ask it. Who here thinks that there are too many lawsuits because people don't take enough responsibility for their own conduct, right? These are all things to get conversation going. It gets that subject out front and center. If you get one person talking about it, it's easier to get the second person talking about it. But get them talking about it and and find out how they feel about that issue. Another topic is burden of proof. I I think most people, I wouldn't say confused, but they, they sort of don't make the proper distinction between the burden of proof in a civil case and a criminal case, and that's a big deal. In a civil case, it's more likely right than wrong. 
it's not beyond a reasonable doubt. And, and I like asking who feels like it's too low of a standard, who feels like it's the right standard, you know, why? And, and I think that's one of the things that you, you will find that some people just don't, don't want to give, you know, they have a problem with the law in the case, and, and they may have some dif- difficulty applying it appropriately in your case. Thinking as you're, as you're discussing tort reform and some of the other issues, can you imagine what lawyers of, say, 60, 70 years ago, if we could transport them back to, to modern times and have them watch a, a, a Vordire the way you're suggesting, they'd probably fall out of their bench. They'd probably be saying, this guy's poisoning his own jury. The difference, Eric, is maybe 30 or 40 years ago, they would be hearing that from the, for the first time from you in the, in the courtroom. You know, every one of them has heard that one, you know, multiple, multiple times in other areas, in uh, commercials, uh, you know, Chamber of Commerce commercials, whatever. But it's an issue that's out there, and it's an issue you need to, you have to address it. There's no question. Another issue that I think could be troublesome for you and, and you need to address is caps on damages, like asking who feels like there should be some limit or cap on non-economic damages and explain why and, and what do you think. And almost always somebody will raise their hand and say, well, I'm okay with damages, but not these ridiculous amounts like 40 or $50 million, and they'll say it. I mean, you, you won't say it, they'll say it. And then you know, you're having a conversation about whether or not there could be some set of facts that would cause them to at least consider $30 million in a case or consider $20 million or 25. So there's certain issues that I think are very troublesome for anybody who's handling a personal injury case on behalf of a plaintiff. And these issues, in my experience, will prevent some people from even considering awarding anything to your client, no matter what the facts or the evidence are in the case. And that's why it's so very important for you to identify people who hold these views and do what you can to try to get them off the panel, because that's the only way in the world your client has a chance of getting a fair trial. You got to go at that. You got to ask questions about that. Too many lawsuits. People shouldn't get money for pain and suffering. Lawsuits hurt the business community. These are all things on people's mind, and they should be on people's mind. But my point is certain people have such, such strong views on topics like that, tort reform, that it doesn't matter what the evidence is going to be. It doesn't matter what the law is. They are not going to consider your client's case. you got to identify who these people are who hold these very strong opinions and try to get them off. How do you handle that? Well, I think a couple things. Once you've identified that person, you want to hear as much as you can from that person about why they feel that way. I would let them go on for as long as they can, as long as you can get them to go on, having them tell the court on the record how strongly they feel about that, why they feel strongly about that, how long they felt strongly about that, and then once you've gotten them like exhausted everything that they can possibly say about it, and you've built a very, very good, strong record, again, lower the bar. What you want to do is be truthful, be honest, and say, look, you've really spent the last five, six minutes telling us all very convincingly that you feel very, very strongly about bringing suits like this suit, right? And here I'm representing my client in, in just such a lawsuit, right? And, and then, you know, again, lower the bar. Do you think, based on all of the things that you told us and all of these strong, long-held beliefs and feelings, do you think we, my client, might be starting out just a little bit behind, okay? You'll get them to agree to that. Some people may be honest and say, look, 
I hate lawsuits. I'm not real fond of attorneys, and I, I just don't like this at all, and I shouldn't be on this. But that's, that's rare. That doesn't happen that often. But the whole idea here is you want to document those feelings in, in as much detail as you can so you're basically building a record. One item like that is tort reform. Another one is burden of proof. I know from experience there are certain people who, if you're trying a case, I don't care what, they, they just want absolute proof. We do hundreds of focus groups where we're watching the, the, you know, the jurors deliberate, we're watching what they say, and the ones with the burden of proof will, will sit there in the room and they'll be, they'll be outvoted, they'll be, they really don't have any facts to support their opinion. They'll sit there with their arms crossed and say this, I don't know, I'm just not convinced. And what that does is it allows them to disagree with everybody else in the room and not have to explain it because they're essentially agreeing with the facts. And, and so what happens in Vordaer when you bring that out, you identify who those people are, which is very important. You, you also will try to get them to acknowledge that at least we're starting a little bit behind. They'd have some difficulty in applying that standard in the case. But beyond that, you're also... Not only are you identifying the people who are bad for you, but you're also strengthening the folks who are with you on that standard. Okay, for instance, in closing, what you do is you say, remember we talked about that in Vordire. Remember we talked about the burden of proof in this case. So if anybody goes back to the jury room, you can say this in close, and crosses their arms and says, you know what, I'm just not convinced. You need to say, well, look, you're not following the law because that isn't the law. The law isn't to be convinced. The law isn't to be 100%. It's more likely than not. It's 51-49. These are issues that a a large segment of the population have trouble with. It's probably worth saying that anytime you have these conversations with one person, say a person has an in-depth conversation about tort reform, you're never just talking to that person. You're talking to all the prospective jurors that are sitting there. So it's a a really, it's a time-saving situation where that conversation can be expanded to everybody. Maybe after one person has some very strong feelings about something, you can ask, who else would feel similarly? Now you're doing a lot of work with with five minutes. Some people have strongly held beliefs that you shouldn't award money for pain. You just shouldn't award money for pain. And they'll go on and on and describe it and explain it. And then once you've let them talk about it for 15 minutes or 10 minutes or for as ever long as, as you can get them to talk about it, then you say, well, you know, that's a big component of our damages in this case. We're here in this lawsuit asking for the exact type of damages that you've just explained for 15 minutes you don't want to give, right? If you let them explain and really build it, it makes it a little easier for you to say, well, we're probably not a good person for this. We're starting out a little bit behind. Would you agree with that? Okay. And even if that person at that point says, no, you're not, you're even, I'm fair. I mean, it's just not credible. It's just not believable, but you can't hide from these things, hit them head on, and keep your mouth shut and let them talk and talk and talk and ask them 15 ways from Sunday, what else can you tell me about it? How long have you held this? Anybody else in your family feel that way? Who else do you know feels they know why? Just go on and on and on and build it up. And that's really called locking them in, locking them into the position, let them talk, have them explain in detail, acknowledge that these are you know long-held beliefs. And I was talking earlier, Eric, about not just those general issues, but some cases, some, some issues in your case. Usually there's three or four issues in your case that are a handful for you. They're a big challenge. Everybody has those. And if you didn't have those in your case, you wouldn't be trying your case. 
But what I do is I take the toughest two or three issues and I use them to get potential jurors off for cause, okay? And that's because these issues are, are bad for you, but some people, that the, the way they look at those issues, they have completely zoned out and they're not going to consider anything in your case. The issue is so negative for them and so powerful from a negative point of view, they're not willing to consider anything else in the case. And that's really what they're thinking. And with somebody like that on the panel, you're not going anywhere. I mean, you're just spinning your wheels. You might as well pack your stuff up and, and head on home. Take the worst fact in your case. And I, I've given this example before, but federal motor vehicle safety standards, okay? And I think some people believe, and they believe strongly, that if a vehicle meets the federal motor vehicle safety standards, it's not defective or unreasonably dangerous, no matter what the evidence is in the case. It doesn't matter what the evidence is. No matter if what the, the jury right, instruction the, says. No matter the jury, they'll flat out tell you, look, if the government's got their stamp of approval on that, we're done, I'm done, I'm not considering anything. Well, that's a tough issue for, even if people said, even if a juror said, look, yeah, I can consider it. And so you, you got to explore that with them. You got to get same thing, ask them why and lock them in on it and then get to the point, well, obviously you might have a little trouble deciding whether or not this, this car here is, is unreasonably dangerous because of that, yes. And maybe you can get them, end up getting them off. The opioid cases that we've handled, we've talked about that in the past, you know, addiction. Some people feel like addiction is something you got yourself into, it's your own, it's your own fault and, and it's nobody else's fault and it's your responsibility and that's the end of it, okay? Well, use that. Get them to talk about how they feel about that issue, that they feel it's just bad choices, not some medical condition. The other thing, too, difficulty in awarding damages to someone who is a, a lifetime addict, right? Significant money. That's another issue to explore with people because you can figure this out. You can figure out in your case what issues people are going to have trouble with. The problem is some of them have so much trouble with those issues, they're done before you even start it. Drinking and driving. I've had cases, product cases, where the driver was drinking, drove a vehicle into a tree, and the vehicle burst into flames, and my, my client's 15-, 16-year-old son burned to death in the vehicle. Well, there was a significant portion of people on that panel before we started that case that because of the drinking, they were done. They were done. You know, our case starts when the car hits the tree. Our case was about how did that car handle in that collision? What were the design elements that should have prevented that vehicle from bursting into flames, you know, at a low mile an hour, so that instead of these kids walking away, two of them burned to death in the vehicle. Well, in that case, we knew the drinking was a problem. It was going to come in, and literally a third, a full third of the panel, whatever we started with, 80 or 90 people, were, were off of that panel because they were like, hey, drinking, driving your car? No, we're done. It's over with. We're not even going to think about it. Doesn't matter what the law is. Doesn't matter what, what, what the facts are. So that was probably the worst fact for us in that case. But what we were able to do is at least identify those people who, because of that fact, weren't even going to give us the time of day. They just weren't going to listen to us about anything. We identified them, and we were able to get them off. And I'll tell you, in that case, people weren't shy about that at all. It was one of those rare instances where they flat out said, look, drinking, I'm done. I don't care what your case. They said that. Don't care what your case is about. We're done. It's almost like you got to sit down in the quiet of your room and just think, what is the thing that someone's going to blurt out as soon as they get in that room? And it's not going to be anywhere in the instruction. It's not going to be any, in related to anything in the instruction. And it's going to kill your case. 
And so you have to find, you have to identify it, use your imagination. And it's not easy for lawyers because you've got the confirmation bias. You want to believe in your case. You want to think people are going to see it the way you see it. It's scary to go to such a poisonous topic. But if you don't, that's even scarier. One of the other things that you need to do in this, this whole issue about identifying problem jurors and, and getting them off for cause, one of the things you, you can't forget about is anticipating your opponent's questions. I'll give you an example. Almost every case that I have, personal injury case, my client is severely injured, catastrophic injury. There's no question about it. We're not, we're not disputing or arguing about the nature or extent of the, the injuries. And most people with a beating heart feel sympathy for somebody who's hurt or went through something horrific or terrible. We all understand that. And what I see over and over again in almost every case is when I sit down, my opponent will get up and will work on this sympathy issue. And some, some lawyers are way better at it than others. And they'll talk about how my client's just a wonderful person and horrible things happen to them. And it's terrible, and they feel so sorry, and they're crying over at the defense table about all these bad things that happened to my poor client, and we all feel that way, and we wish them the best and everything else, and, and they'll get people agreeing, yep, we all feel sorry for them, we feel sympathy, and now you, you'd agree with me, wouldn't you, that, that because of all of these wonderful, sympathetic, good heart feelings you have for this poor plaintiff and everything terrible they went through, that probably starting a little bit behind, a big corporation with a lot of money, right, right, you get that? And then before you know it, everybody with a beating heart is that they want off is off the panel. Prepare them for that. And the way I do that is I ask them flat out, first of all, you know, can you be fair to a corporation? I want everybody here in this room, we're asking to be fair to my client, but there's a corporation in this case as a defendant. Their lawyers are all sitting over, all 20 of them over there at the other at the table. And what I want to do is I, I'd like my client wants you all to be fair to the defendant, the other side. Can everybody promise me that you'll do that? Raise your hand. And then the next thing is I make a distinction between sympathy and empathy, right? Empathy is the ability to understand, feel, or relate to others. Sympathy is just feeling sorry for somebody, right? And and I tell the jurors, it's okay to feel empathy, right? It's okay to try to put yourself in somebody's shoes and feel how, you know, relate to them, understand what they've gone through, right? But we don't want you to decide the case on sympathy. We just don't. We've had enough sympathy. We're not here for sympathy. We want fairness. We want justice. And I get everybody in the room by show of hands, and I even have them stand up sometimes to commit to not deciding the case based on sympathy. My client is asking you, please, not to decide this case on sympathy. Can everybody agree with that? And I know from experience, sometimes that's not enough. So what I will actually do is go one step further and, and lock them in on their promise. I ask everybody in the room, can you promise me, can you promise my client that you will not decide this case on sympathy? And they promise. And then I go a little bit further and say, now I'm going to sit down. If this defense attorney gets up and asks you the same exact question that I've asked you five times, everybody promise me, your answer is going to be the same. Is that right? Even if the judge asks you, your answer is going to be the same. Is that correct? And, and still, even with that, sometimes it still doesn't work. But again, you want to be able to anticipate. That's one issue to anticipate. We've been talking about getting jurors off for cause. And I would say overall, know what the standard is clearly in your jurisdiction. Know what you need to prove identify issues that are difficult issues for you in the case in general or specific to your case. And the whole key to this is letting jurors 
talk. Right? Let them talk, let them talk, let them talk. Build a record, you know, not just that they have these strong feelings, but where they've come from, why they hold these feelings, why they're so strong. Because any yes or no after that really pales in comparison to the, the, you know, the weight and the substance of what they've already said. And this is so very important because if you can't identify those jurors and get them off, your client has no chance of winning this case no matter what the evidence is. I'm John Simon. I'm Eric Veith. Thank you for joining us on The Jury is Out. We look forward to having you with us on the next session. John and Eric would like to hear from you. They invite you to email your comments and suggestions to comments at thejuryisout.law. To learn more about the dedicated trial lawyers of the Simon Law Firm, visit simonlawpc.com.